Good morning again. At this time, children who would like to go to kids' ministry, children's ministry, can just go with Miss Bethany right out the back. She'll be glad to take you out there. You guys are going to have a great time. And um, they get to hear the message of the gospel at their own age level, and it is awesome. Awesome, awesome. Hey, um, something I didn't mention during announcement time, um, but I thought that maybe I would take a moment and mention now is that today is a very, very special day. I've been informed. It's Simon's birthday. And so happy birthday to Simon. Yeah, if you guys want to clap for... He's back there in the corner trying not to be embarrassed, but it's not working. So his fiance wanted me to... Uh, did you hear that? I sounded fancy, like I'm fancy French. Fiance wanted to uh, wanted me to make sure that I mentioned that. So, anyway, uh, you guys make sure and, and congratulate him on getting older, uh, on on your way out. So, anyway, hey, if you got your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and open to Hebrews chapter one. We're going to be covering verses five through fourteen this morning, Lord willing. Last week, we began our series of sermons walking through the book of Hebrews, and uh, if you remember, I told you the main theme of this book is Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Uh, There's also this stream through the book of the idea of perseverance that just kind of runs through the book, as if to understand that since Jesus is better than anything else that we would, since, excuse me. Let me start over. Since Jesus is better than anything else, that we would persevere in our faith and keep worshiping he who is greater. I was reminded of this this morning as I was getting ready. I was listening to one of my all-time favorites, which is Rich Mullins. And in one of his songs, there's a line that says, the stuff of earth competes for allegiance. I owe only to the giver of all good things. And um, I just, that line kind of kept reverberating as it connects because nothing, all the stuff of earth, and today we're going to talk about the angels a little bit, but uh, all the stuff around us that would compete for our allegiance, but that allegiance we owe only to the giver of all the good things, which is God alone. For several years now, in pop culture, angels have been a big thing. Back when there used to be Christian bookstores, uh, I realize we have one here in town, but generally they don't exist a whole lot anymore, okay? They're hard to find. But back when there were Christian bookstores and gift stores, you'd go in and there would be this section of wall art, and uh, so much of that would have depictions of angels on it. Now, typically these were not uh, generally biblically accurate depictions of angels um, for several reasons I could go into. I'll just give a couple. Anytime angels in the Bible are named, they're given male names, but all the pictures you see of angels typically are women with long flowing blonde hair (laughs) or little fat cherub kind of folks, you know. And the descriptions of angels in the Bible as well are much more terrifying uh, than would fit on someone's wall painting to hang in their bathroom. Uh, usually. I, I spent, so last week when I was in Louisville, um, I got to go to the, uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is kind of the granddaddy of them all. It's a big one. And I'd never been on campus before, but walking through the campus, they had all these depictions of, uh, of artwork from the book of Revelation. 
uh, and uh, it was paintings and things like that. And some of those, you look at those angels, you're like, wow, that's a lot different look than, uh, than what you would see in your normal Christian bookstore painting. And so um, if you're, it seemed like angels were, you know, people had figurines all over. We have a, a family that we're really close friends with, and they collect angels. And at Christmas time, all the angels come out, and they're, they're glittery and sparkly and all that. If you remember a few years ago, there was even some TV shows. There was a TV show called Touched by an Angel in the 90s. You remember this one? It's where a couple of angels travel around the earth acting like heavenly psychologists. I'm old enough to remember a show called Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon back in the 80s, right? And I think it maybe even started in the 70s. I mean, it's, uh, and I'm not old enough to remember the 70s, even though I was born at the end of them. But, um, so a glut of, a glut of movies and TV shows followed, right? But angels were never supposed to be the center of our lives as Christ followers, which is why it's kind of weird that they were in so much of the art and everything. They were never supposed to be at the center of our lives as Christ followers. Jesus is enough. And that's the question that I want you to ponder throughout this message. As we go through this, as I walk through all the points of how Jesus is better than the angels, I want you to ask the question in your mind, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough? In verse 4, the author teaches teaches us, and we went through verse 1 through 4 last week, but in verse 4, if you look back, the author teaches us that Jesus is superior to the angels. But then what he does is he spends the next several verses that we're going to cover today actually explaining or giving his argument for why Jesus is superior to the angels. We can look at that and go, okay, that's pretty logical. He gives his point, right? And then he makes the argument as to why that point is true. Now, Here's the question that I am wondering, that I was wondering. Why, why would the author feel that it's important to write about Jesus being superior than the angels and then to give the folks he was writing to seven Old Testament references proving the point? Like, why would he feel like that was an important thing that they needed to know? Like, if I was... Like when I, when I think about getting up to, what it, to preach and I go through books of the Bible, but if I was getting up to think about what you needed to know, I probably wouldn't start with Jesus is more superior than the angels. I would have assumed you would have known that. So it makes me wonder if you don't know that or if that's something that he felt like he needed to say, why did he feel like he needed to say that? Well, Ligon Duncan is helpful on this. He says this, he says, well... It's because apparently this congregation that he was, you know, this, these Christians he was writing to, this congregation, is tempted to think that angels, or at least some of them, may be superior to Christ. So that may have been a temptation. He goes on, he says, We know that there were various branches of the Jewish community, including the Essenes, who had a very high view of angels, who thought Michael and his angels were going to reign in the kingdom to come. They believed that the last days were upon them and that Michael was going to bring in the eternal reign of God. They had a very high view of angels. And we also know from Paul's little letter to the Colossians that there was an apparent temptation of some Christians to even worship angels. And we know that because Paul warns against the worship of angels in Colossians chapter 2. Well, I don't know exactly what the temptation that this particular group of people was facing. But the author of Hebrews 
thinks that it's actually very important that they understand that Jesus is superior to angels and and that he's better than angels and he's more excellent than the angels. And that's what he's going to talk to us about today. And so with that, we're going to begin reading in Hebrews chapter 1. And we're going to read verse, uh, verse 5 through 14 so you can follow along with me. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask God to help us. God, as we come before you and we read how Jesus is better than the angels, how Jesus is superior, help our hearts to understand and our lives to reflect these great truths. I pray you would make my words clear that you would help me help them understand that your Holy Spirit would work through me, that you would work on the hearts of the hearers. You'd help us understand your word and what it means for us. This is about you, Jesus. It's not about me. Forgive me for ever taking, trying to make myself seem big or smart or wise. May you shine through. I pray I would decrease and you would increase be big here, Jesus, please. I can't do this without you. We, we can't do this without you. We need your help. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's begin plowing in verse 5. Now I understand this is a theologically rich passage, okay? And actually the entire book of Hebrews is just it's just the depth of, of the doctrine that we get in it is so deep and it's so thick. There's no way, and, and this is true of any sermon I preach on any passage, there's no way that I can say everything there is to say about a given passage. And you hear me say that a lot, and I'm not, not as much probably saying that for you as I am saying that to remind myself that I don't have to say everything there is to say because I can't in one sermon. You can't say everything there is to say about a passage. But we're going to begin plowing in verse 5. Jesus is superior to the angels because Jesus is God. His position, his unique position is better than the angels. Jesus is God. What we find here is we begin and we get a quote from Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 verse 7 which says, I tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now right there, If you're reading, and you're like me at all, 
Um, and maybe it'd be better if you weren't like me, but if you're like me at all and you're reading through this, that verse could be a bit of a head scratcher, right? When you first read through that section of Hebrews and then you look at the reference there, it could be a bit of a head scratcher when it says, today I have begotten you. Well, we know that Jesus is eternally existent as the Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, and God himself. He was with God in the beginning, and he'll be with God forever. He is God. And, and again, the second part of the Trinity, second person of, excuse me, second person of the Trinity. So what does it mean when he says, today I have begotten you? Well, the writer of Hebrews, and we need to understand this about Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews has a, a strict policy when it comes to interpreting Scripture. And he holds this policy, scripture interprets scripture, which, by the way, is a great policy, okay? Scripture interprets scripture. So we can look to other parts of the New Testament for help when we're trying to figure this out, why it would say that. And I want to direct your attention to Acts chapter 13, verses 32 and 33 specifically, and these should be on the screen for you as well. And it says this, And we bring you the good news that God promised to the fathers. That, or excuse me, uh, fathers, this, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Phillips writes this, This refers to Christ's resurrection, and the idea of begetting here is that of declaring or manifesting to the full. And Paul amplifies this in Romans 1 verse 4, writing that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Here then is why those first century Christians must hold fast to their faith in Christ as we must. When God raised our Lord Jesus from the dead, having been crucified for our sins, God the Father brought him into his inheritance, manifesting before all the world his status as divine son. So, in the resurrection, God the Father was declaring that Jesus Christ alone is worthy heir and the true and unique Son of God. He was already worthy, he was already the Son of God, but the resurrection was a declaration to the world of it. Right? The, revela- the resurrection proved to the world that he was who he said he was. Because he said, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to raise, and then he did it, and that proved that he was who he said he was. It was a declaration of it. The reason I decided that we needed to talk about that is because the wording there uh, can, uh, I mean, it can cause you pause. And we want to make sure we understand what it's meaning there. So Jesus is God. Number two, Jesus is worshipped. Another reason Jesus is better than the angels is because Jesus is worshipped. He is worshipped by the angels and he is to be worshipped by us. We look at verse 6. In verse 6, we get a second argument for why Jesus is superior to the angels. This reason is that angels are commanded to worship him. He's worshipped by the angels. Nowhere, nowhere in scripture are we commanded to worship angels? Okay, we're not commanded to pray to angels or anything like that. And if that, if that is a belief of someone you know, they're going to have a very difficult time proving that with Scripture. 
There are a couple of Old Testament references that fit in here. We've got Psalm 97.7 and Deuteronomy 32.43. And both contain the statement that he's referencing. We see this acted out spectacularly. This worship of Christ, right, by the angels. We see this acted out spectacularly in the first advent, right? Christmas, right? The angels, the, the, the shepherds, the shepherds are out and they're watching their flocks by night and the heavenly host shows up and praises God. So we see the angels all throughout scripture, they've been commanded to worship Christ and we see them worshiping Christ. And if they were greater, they wouldn't be, you know, the lesser doesn't usually worship, or the, the greater never worships the lesser, right? Uh, the book of Revelation tells us that angels forever worship the son who sits on the throne. Revelation 5, 5 through 6 says, And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. As mighty as the angels are, there are still beings who were created. Angels had a starting point. They were created. They still serve God. They're worshipers of God, and we should, we should actually follow that example and worship God. Those who have been in the very presence of God worship him forever. That should tell us something. Jesus should be the one we delight in. It should be our joy to worship him with our whole lives. Jesus is God, and Jesus is worshiped by the angels. Third argument he gives here, the author of Hebrews gives here, is that Jesus is master of the angels. We see this in verses 7 through 9. It's fitting to mention what I'm told is an old joke, but I just read it yesterday, okay? But I've told this is an old joke, all right? So please don't take this as if it literally happened, okay? But I don't know if you've heard this joke about the Pope and his chauffeur. You know, the Pope wants to drive the car one day, and so with some difficulty, he talks his chauffeur into letting him drive. And while they're out driving, the Pope gets pulled over for speeding. He gets a speeding ticket. And the policeman comes up to the driver's window, motions him to roll down the window. Did you see I just did that as if it were a manual? Do, cars, do any cars even have manual windows anymore? Like, yes, it motions him to roll down the window. Maybe he just did this. I don't know. Policeman comes up, motions to roll down the window. The Pope said, and he sees that it's the Pope, right? He realizes I, maybe he had his funny hat on. I don't know. But he sees that it's the Pope. And he walks back to his car. He says, one moment, please. He walks back to his car and he calls into dispatch. And he says, I've just pulled the Pope over for speeding. I have no idea who must be in the back seat. See, the author wanted to make sure that his readers understood the truth about Jesus as master of the angels, not the other way around. Jesus exercises divine sovereignty and the angels obey his command. They serve him. They serve God and worship Jesus. The citation in verse 7 
is Psalm 104, verse 4. And if you skip down to verse 14, we see that the author revisits this idea of angels as ministering servants of Jesus. He kind of does this thing where he'll, he'll mention it and, so, and then he'll skip down. There's, there's this term for what's actually going on in this passage that we can, like, you can break it down and diagram it. It's parallelism, uh, which if you were in our How to Study the Bible um, uh, course seminar class that we had a few months ago, we talked about parallelism uh, in Hebrew writing. But we see that there. But this citation, uh, excuse me, in verses 8 and 9 then, he's citing Psalm 45, 6 through 7. And it says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, the writer would have us take these passages about God on his throne in the Old Testament and see them all as applying to Jesus Christ. And you can see it again in verse 13, citing Psalm 110, verse 1, that says, The Lord says to my Lord, set at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, from a Jewish perspective, the idea of Christ's enthronement was monumental to the Old Testament and the expectation of the Messiah. You can see this theme playing out in passages of the Old Testament. The the author of Hebrews had already brought in Psalm 2 and 2 Samuel 7. But you see it in a common passage of prophecy that we read around Christmas from the book Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 6 through 8. And we see this idea of Jesus, that, that, that he's the one that they're talking about. In the Old Testament, being enthroned is Jesus. He's the one that's superior. He's the one sitting at the right hand of God. He's the one enthroned up on high. And, and in that passage in Isaiah, it says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it, and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord has sent a word against Jacob, and it will fall on Israel. It's as if the writer of Hebrews wants to point back and say to the people, Hey, do you remember all the expectation of Messiah who was coming of the Savior God would send, of the ruler from the line of David, that's Jesus Christ, and he's better than anything. He's certainly superior to the angels. Only Jesus could live up to everything written about him in all of Scripture. And we know, just as he tells two of his followers after he's resurrected, and they're on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember this story in Luke? It's amazing. That's one of my favorite stories. Uh, uh, Jesus appears to these two guys after they've been in Jerusalem, and he walks with them on the road to Emmaus. And they're like, it's so funny because they don't know who he is. They don't recognize him. And he he's talking to him and they're like, don't you know what's been going on? Have you heard about this guy, Jesus? And, and he's like, oh, tell, you know, tell me, you know, that's not a direct quote, right? And so they tell him, and then he opens the scriptures to him and he explains all the things from the beginning, all of it as pertaining to him. And that, that is the Old Testament because that's the only Bible they had at the time, right? 
because the New Testament was happening, <laughs> not, not yet been all recorded. So we see, we see all of Scripture pointing to Jesus, and that ought to increase our understanding of his superiority to everything. But in this case, the angels. Number four, Jesus is the creator of the angels. I already mentioned this, but we get to verses 10 through 12. And in those verses, we have kind of a final trump card that the author plays in his argument that Jesus is superior to the angels. It's this, Jesus is the creator of the angels. It's like that final boom, you know, it's like if all this wasn't enough, I'm going to drop the mic and be like, if you still don't believe that Jesus is better than the angels, let me remind you, Jesus made them. He made them. I don't know about you, but when I make something, it is usually not greater than me. Generally, if I make something, it may or may not be edible if it's food. Uh, And it also, if it's something I've created or built, it may or may not fall apart. Okay? The creation will not be better or superior to the creator. So the author plays this final trump card. He's not created. Jesus is not created, but has always been, whereas these beings called angels were created by God for his purposes. And the author quotes Psalm 102. Jesus is eternal and will not wear out. We fade. Yesterday, um, it wasn't yesterday, it was actually Friday. I had the honor of officiating a wedding. And the bride and the groom looked so beautiful and handsome and young. But I told them during the wedding that eventually, eventually that'll fade. Like gravity will happen. We will wear out. The blossom drops. So build your life on that which lasts forever. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior King, he who does not wear out. If I could get you to do one thing today, if I could encourage you and get you to do one thing, it would be to be in awe and wonder of how glorious Jesus is. I want you to be impressed with Jesus today. The world fades. Everything else in our lives that we chase after fades, but Jesus stands the same yesterday, today, and forever. Will you worship him and surrender your life to him? Will you repent of your sins and believe the good news that he is who he says he is and he did what he said he would do and he will do what he says he will still yet do? This God came to earth as a man, all God and all man, and lived a perfect life that you can't live. You and I, we cannot live a perfect life because we have sinned. The scriptures tell us that we've all sinned and fallen short of the the glory of God. That means we all miss the mark. We, We can't be perfect. If you're perfect, you should leave because we'll mess you up. The secret is you aren't because you can't be. So Jesus was perfect on our behalf. And he gave that perfect sinless life willingly on the cross in the place of sinners. That means you and me. And that means the one who was rightfully due the throne instead took on our sin and the wrath of God that was due us because he loves us and because sin must justly be punished. And he took the judgment for our sin and he 
died. Then three days later, he raised from the dead. And in doing so, God was declaring that death was defeated and that sin had been atoned for. That Jesus was who he said he was. The sacrifice of Jesus was totally and completely sufficient. It was enough. So will you look in wonder and awe at the glorious Savior today? If you have never trusted Jesus, you must repent of your sin and believe the good news of the gospel that I just shared, trusting in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and surrendering to him as Lord. Because Jesus is better. He's the creator of those angels and they serve him. Number five. Number five, rounding out our argument here. Verses 13 and 14. Jesus rules and the angels save. I wrote that and I kept going back and like, maybe I should change the way I worded this point. Jesus rules, you know, it sounds like I'm, you know, and reminds me of like Bill and Ted's excellent adventure or something, you know. San Dimas High School football rules, right? Jesus rules and angels serve. Jesus is given the seat of honor at the right hand of the Father. Jesus being seated, I don't know, like we, we, we read those scriptures that talk about Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father, and I don't know if we sometimes maybe think that Jesus was like, okay, it's all done, I'm going to go sit down and rest, right? That's not it. That's not it at all. Jesus is given the seat of honor at the right hand of the Father. Jesus being seated does not mean that he's inactive. In fact, he is quite actively involved in concerns with the going on of his flock. He is involved in the church. He's attentive to us. We see this in the early church all throughout the book of Acts. And it should be a deep comfort to us that our Lord is active on our behalf from his seat at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. And who knows just how many times in your life he has sent these angels, these ministering spirits to help us, and we haven't seen it. You know, in addition to knowing that angels are sent as ministering spirits and, and knowing that we have an active Savior on the throne, we also have the very Holy Spirit of God indwelling us as Christ's followers. He's been sent to teach us of Christ, to convict us of sin, to renew our wills, to guide us in right paths, to help us understand the word of God. Friends, God has provided so much for us as his children. Where could we ever go to find anything greater? There's none greater than Jesus. He's defeated every enemy. Have you ever wondered when you read, uh, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Have you ever wondered what that means? I get this, this I mean, I get a picture of like a recliner and a footstool, right? Well, let me, let me explain what, what this means. Back in the ancient days, a victorious general who, who defeated an army, right? He would put his foot on the throat of the defeated enemy. We see this in the book of Joshua. Joshua had his commanders do this to the kings of Canaan that they had captured. Joshua chapter 10, verse 24. And it says this, just to, just to show you this. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings 
Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. If God is going to make Jesus' enemies a footstool, uh, we probably should figure out who those enemies are. Let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 24 through 26, and see if we can find some answers here. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. The curse of the law, sin, Satan, the worldly powers, death, and the grave are all Christ's enemies. But he will have no enemies left standing at the end. Revelation 21 verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Jesus wins. Jesus rules. Angels serve. Jesus gets the ultimate victory forever and ever. Amen. As remarkable as the angels are, and they are remarkable, they're remarkable beings, they pale in comparison to the glory of Jesus Christ seated on the throne and slain for the sins of the world and risen again. And this Jesus is sufficient to save. He's worthy of our worship and our obedience. So to answer the question that I asked earlier, I told you I wanted you to to think about this, to ponder this during the message, is Jesus enough? The answer is yes, Jesus is enough. But... Do you believe, do you believe that he's enough? He is enough, but is he enough for you? Is he enough for you in your life? Or are you too easily impressed with things other than Jesus? Are the things of earth competing for allegiance in your life and you're giving them your allegiance rather than to Jesus? As we start to move towards wrapping up, I want to invite the musicians to come forward. And as they do, I want, to, I want to talk through a few points of application with you. As we think through this question, is Jesus enough for you? Or are you too impressed, too easily impressed with things other than Jesus? If you've believed the gospel and repented of your sins, then Jesus The king of the universe is your friend, the one who created the angels and sends them to minister to his followers. If you've trusted in the gospel and repented of your sins, then Jesus is your friend. And though he does send his ministering spirits to help, you can call out to him for help. You get the privilege that you don't deserve of having a daily personal relationship with the king of the universe. And it boggles my mind in my own life how sometimes I even take that for granted. Don't take it for granted. This glorious God who we have the opportunity to have a friendship with. Number two, Jesus will vanquish his enemies So the question we need to ask ourselves this morning is, 
Am I on Jesus' side? I see what happens to his enemies. Don't want to be in that category. So we have to ask ourselves, am I on Jesus' side? Are you a follower of Christ? Who maybe has fallen into disobedience in some part of your life. I'm not dumb enough to think that that doesn't describe somebody in the room. Are you a follower of Christ who's fallen into disobedience in some part of your life? Repent and come back to King Jesus. Turn away from your sin and turn towards Jesus. Repentance is changing the way you think and act towards your sin and running to Jesus. Let what we have learned about Jesus today, what has been proclaimed about Jesus, his rule and his reign as king of the universe, increase and deepen your worship of him. And lastly, I want to challenge you in your daily lives, day in and day out, to let these truths about Jesus change how you speak about Jesus to others. When you speak about your Lord, when you speak about your Savior, when you speak about the King of the universe, do you speak about him in ways that show that he is enough, he is sufficient, and he is better than anything else that our silly hearts could want or chase after. Would you stand and pray with me this morning? Lord God, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for your people gathered to worship your name on this Lord's day. Help me in my own life not take you for granted. This glorious gift, the gift of salvation, of friendship with God, of forgiveness of sin, of something I don't deserve and can never earn, but you give freely, willingly. Help me trust that you are better. May my life reflect it. May the way I speak uh, to others of you reflect your position as greater than the angels and as better than anything else. I pray that the truths of this passage of scripture would reverberate in our hearts and our minds throughout the week, that we wouldn't go out those doors and forget what happened here, but that we would remember you. We would remember you and your greatness and that our lives and our voices would proclaim it to the community and the culture around us, Jesus. Be big in our lives and big in our church. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing one final song together. If anybody needs to talk about anything afterwards, I'll be around.